episode of Okay, Now What? features Kyra Pugh, a good friend of mine and a registered dietitian who helped me figure out better ways to fuel my body, but also has type 1 diabetes. Kyra is someone who has overcome a lot in her lifetime, and her diabetes wasn't the only thing that afflicted her through her early teenage years. It was also accompanied by an eating disorder. And Okay, Now What? aims to really show us that Once we figure out how to survive our circumstances, there are ways that we don't even realize in which we are going to go beyond surviving into this life of, dare I say it, and being a little cheesy, thriving. So stay tuned for Kyra's story and see how impactful her journey through type 1 diabetes has been and how she now uses her experiences to help others identify with their needs in the world of diet, nutrition, diabetes, and exercise. Thanks for listening. Y'all, I am here with my good friend, Kyra, who? Like the Pew. bear? Pew. Pew. Like a church Like the pew. stink. Oh, like the chair <laughs> then. Okay, not like the smell. Definitely <laughs> <And> Kyra. <laughs> Kyra and I have known each other for a while. We met when I was doing readings. Like I, I read for you and a couple people in your family. Yeah? That's yeah. how we started talking? Yeah, I think it was like end of... I want to say end of 2018 or like 2019. 19. It had to be 19. I started in May of 19 doing this professionally. Okay. So yes. after I met Kyra a couple of times, uh, she ended up going into business for herself for a while as a nutritionist. And I hired her. It was about this time last year. It was January of 2023. And I learned so much. But the really, the really incredible thing about Kyra is that she is an advocate for and also a, how do I say that? Like you also have uh, type one diabetes. Yes, correct. And this whole show, okay, now what is it's here to talk about our more difficult experiences and what we do in life when we're faced with major transitions or like major diagnoses and just where we have to shift and pivot away from the life that we thought we would be living into the one that we're given more or less. So Kyra, you were, how old were you when you were diagnosed with diabetes? I was 11. So I was in sixth grade. Oh, wow. Um, February of 2000. So it'll be almost 24 years now that I've wow been living with type one. Yeah. And Crazy. what, um, what made you get checked for it? What happened is like, what brought you to your diagnosis? Do you remember? Yeah. So I was having the typical symptoms of like peeing a lot. I was super, super thirsty. Um, I had lost a lot of weight and I was already a string bean as a child. So it was quite daunting um, to lose even more weight at the point that I was at. But we thought I just kind of had the stomach flu. I was not feeling well. I started throwing up. Um, I couldn't keep anything down for, you know, a good few days. Um, And leading up to that, I was having all those symptoms, right? Like just really thirsty peeing a lot. I remember my, my brother was in boot camp and he was graduating and they had like a line of, uh, Kool-Aid pitchers. And I drank probably three of them to myself while we were there. Like it was so bad, but a week after he graduated, that's when I started getting sick and we thought I had the stomach flu, no big deal. Um, but I wasn't getting better. And I remember Mm -hmm. being on the couch of my dad's house. My mom and dad are separated. And I look over at him with like glossy eyes, apparently. And I go, we can't, or I said, 
what did I say? Will you help us turn over because we can't breathe? And he goes, what the F? <laughs> and immediately he calls the hospital. We're luckily we're like maybe four blocks, four or five blocks away from the hospital. So we go over there as soon as possible. I'm in the ER room. They check my blood sugar. It's 1200, which is probably the highest that the meter reads right in the hospital. Um, they tell me I have diabetes. The, a normal blood sugar should be anywhere between like 80 to 100 milligrams per deciliter. So in the ER, you know, they're checking me out. They obviously I've got type one diabetes. Things are happening. I fall into a coma and mm -hmm. I'm in the ICU for a couple days in a coma. And then I wake up and then I'm in the hospital for another week or so just to kind of get used to my new life. Um, yeah. So that was the start of everything. Um, there's a, there's what is called a honeymoon phase. So like when somebody's first diagnosed with type one, their pancreas still kind of spits out insulin. And so for the first couple of years, things were pretty decent for me as far as blood sugar control. My, my parents were pretty involved at, at that time. As soon as I got into high school though, things got a little crazy. Uh, I realized, you know, being a woman, a girl, your focus is looking good. Like you want to be liked, right? The body image started for me. And I realized that if I didn't take my insulin, I would lose weight. Mm. And so I started skipping doses, you know, reducing my carbohydrate intake. So I wouldn't have to take as much insulin. And that made me lose weight, not in a healthy way by any means. Um, but also what this is called is diabolemia, diabolemia. So for people oh, wow. who, yes. So for people who, um, intentionally skip their insulin doses in order to lose weight, that's the definition. So I did that for several years and I eventually got complications from that of my uncontrolled diabetes. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to go to college. I started going to college, but I couldn't go because the complications that I was having were, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't walk very far. I could barely go get my mail. I couldn't exercise anymore. And I have always been very passionate about health and nutrition and exercise. And you were an athlete, weren't you? I was in gymnastics. I did soccer for a little bit. I've always just been very active, um, just a lifestyle that I've never strayed away from until I literally couldn't do it anymore. And so I quit my job. I looked into disability and I was actually in the process of going through all the paperwork and, and applying for that. And then I realized like, this is not what I want for my future. This is not what I want for the rest of my life. Cause I was 22, 23 at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped the process and eventually like through a lot of work in my, in my mindset. And then, you know, everyday reminders and tasks, I was able to finally exercise again, walk to my mailbox little by little, I was able to do more. And it started with taking care of my diabetes. Right. But a lot of it had to do with shifting my mind into like, what does that even take? And eventually I went back to school and, you know, got a couple of degrees you know, finish my internship and here I am. Now. No big but deal. All right. No big deal. 
that's wild. Like I felt like I knew a lot of your story and I guess I didn't really know much of it at all. So you, when you say like complications, like you couldn't walk very far, you were really fatigued, you were really tired. This was, were you um, at the time still, were you back using your insulin appropriately or was this something where you were still kind of abusing it? Um, What kind of saved me with that was getting the pump for a little bit. So I got a pump um, that really helped me not ignore my injections. And even though I was, I stopped that, that was the, that was like the pillar of me kind of starting to take care of myself. And this was after my complications too, right? So it was a gradual, um, increase in self-care, uh, but that was like the start of things. And then once I was off the pump, I, I was determined to keep going because I, I felt the results. I saw the results in my life and I did not want to stop. Right. Okay. Yes. And the complications, like not the complications, when you started not taking doses, how old did you say you were? I was 13 or 14 years old. You were already pretty thin. Um, yeah, I went through a little bit of a, a chubby phase as we, as we all do, like when we, we start all do, yeah. the menstruation <laughs> and stuff, but <laughs> I would say 13 or 14 years old, like when I really started to compare myself to others, mm-hmm. you know, look at what boys, I thought boys liked kind of things. So. Right. Yeah. No, I remember eating like a bag of chips all day and that was, that was like right. all I ate at school for lunch. Like I would eat breakfast. I'd get to school. I'd have a bag <laughs> of Doritos and then I'd go home and I'd binge like mac and cheese, carrots dipped in ranch, like yes. whatever, whatever I could get my hands on. And then I would like take insanely long naps on the couch after school. So I was tired <laughs> because I didn't eat all day and I had exactly. a but I was skinny. Right. And man, do we screw our metabolisms for later in life? You think about how dangerous that is just as a teenage girl. And then you add the complication of a disorder that is so contingent, like your well-being is so contingent on what you're eating, like to yeah. the point that like normal, I say normal, healthy girls don't really have to think about that. And then you, you, you add that factor and then how terrifying exactly. that had to be. Yeah. And, you know, a part of having diabetes is counting your carbohydrates. So you're already, you know, from the time I was 11 on, you know, I've been counting my calories, I've been counting my carbs and that on top of already, you know, having to pay attention to what you're eating Mm -hmm. as a teenager, it just kind of blows things out of control. Yeah. Or it can, it it doesn't always, but no, I know. I remember, I remember going to a high school with a girl who was diabetic and she really struggled with her weight too. And I can remember her really having a hard time because she always was more in the chubby side she had a really hard time just feeling like, I don't know, like she fit in, you know, she was, she, she was yeah. a cheerleader. She was loud, but she also was very like looking back, like the way she acted was very much like, accept me. Like we all do. Right. But totally. I can't imagine how much harder that would be as a diabetic on top of that. Um, yes. We kind of went over symptoms and the last couple of years I have seen two or three people. I know uh, my ex's sister, her daughter got diagnosed at 10 and then, um, yeah. And then uh, and she went through very similar, like she got really sick, lost a lot of weight. No one really knew what was going on. And then oh, boom, so there it was. Um, yeah, I think she's 10 um, when she got, she might've been 11. But anyway, then another girl that I follow online, both of her sons, one is like two years old and the other was six when he got diagnosed. And I can't oh my even imagine going through that. Like at least at 11 years old, you have the ability to like monitor things a little bit better yourself. Totally. But as boys that young, especially you're so physically active, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Constantly burning stuff. Um, 
I, I can't imagine what it's like for you to go through that as a parent. So just thinking about it now as a mother from your mother's perspective, what a heart attack she must've been having over your well being too. And I think I only bring that up not to like shame you or guilt you in any way, but to think of it just from like the perspective of some who might be listening, watching their kids go through this, hearing it from your perspective of like how difficult it is to understand who you are and to come to grips with who you are. And then you put this massive thing on top of it. It's not something you can just like ignore, right? It's something that is an integral part of every single minute of every single day of your life for the rest of your life. And that alone is a massive undertaking for you as a child and as a caretaker, I imagine too. Um, But as I was saying, what are the main symptoms parents should be looking for with this? Because it's something that's pretty easy to overlook until like you're all the way to the point that you were there, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, luckily my dad... Well, I said some weird shit, like I was hallucinating, right? So you were beyond, yeah. Yeah. But the doctor, you know, when I got into the ER, he was like, if you didn't do this within two or three hours, she would have died on your couch. Yeah. So I'm good now, but I'm good um, now. (laughs) Yeah. It's not an interview with Kyra's ghost. (laughs) (laughs) No, I promise. So the symptoms that are most common is excessive thirst, excessive urination, um, really dry mouth. Some people will notice, like if you're around a person who might have these symptoms, their breath is always fruity as well. And Ooh, that's the fruity breath. Yeah. So, so that's like that, that's the acetone that's coming out. So when your blood sugars are really high, your body produces ketones. And so a lot of the times you can smell those ketones on breath. And then a lot of the times people are really tired, sluggish, blurry vision, Weight loss can happen, you know, drastic weight loss because when they're, you know, the reason why they're peeing and drinking all the time is because, you know, they're basically peeing out all their calories because they don't have any insulin in their system. Which is why they're losing the weight. Yes. So the insulin is responsible, just layman's terms, the insulin is responsible for breaking down. How does that work? So insulin is responsible for, it's kind of like a key, right? So it's the key to bring glucose into your muscles. The sugar to the muscles. Yes. If there's no insulin, there's no key to access that glucose. So it's basically running into your, running in your blood and then your body's trying to get rid of it. So it pees it out. Yeah. And this is, this is solely, you know, these things can happen in type two, but this is mainly type one. Right. We're going to get to type two. I have lots of questions there too. Okay. (laughs) Tyra is highly specialized here. And that's typically what age do kids usually get diagnosed? Is there like a typical or is it really anywhere from like birth to like being a teenager? When does it become more likely to be type two than type one? Yes, that is such a good question. And I would have said maybe 20 years ago, I would have said, oh yeah, there's a certain age of juvenile diabetes, right? So when they're younger, maybe between the ages of, you know, zero and 18, but now people are getting type one diabetes. Well, type two and people are yeah type one. So people are getting type one diabetes into their forties. What? Yes. Really? Oh yes. Yes. I didn't know that was possible. Absolutely. And a lot of the times they're misdiagnosed type two, and then they go on these drugs and, or type two drugs like metformin or. So there's a difference in how to treat type one versus type two. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And type two can be reversible up to a certain point, correct? Yeah, totally. That's what I, I had a client who did. She had 
surgery to lose weight, she was right at the beginning of her diagnosis and she was able to reverse it and she's no longer on the drugs for it. Oh, amazing. Yeah. There is a massive difference in the way that you treat type two versus type one. With type two, are you using insulin and all of that as well or... So some type twos are on insulin, but they, they try and put type twos on um, something like metformin or a GLP one, something that will help produce insulin and lower their blood sugars at the same time. Because usually type two, it's not that they're not creating insulin. They're actually creating too much insulin and they're very insulin resistant. And so they are usually put on drugs that will help them with that resistance, maybe help them lose a little bit of weight. And then, you know, they type twos really need to focus on their lifestyle changes um, because that's what's going to potentially bring them off of those medications and then be able to live a free life of of those meds. So with type one, now you're seeing people getting diagnosed in their forties with type one. So is there like a trigger for it that like, how does that happen? The general consensus of a diagnosis for type one, type one is autoimmune, right? So usually the theory is that you'll get a virus and then that virus will overstimulate your immune system and it'll attack itself. We've been seeing this more commonly later on in life. I'm not even sure why. My guess is that, you know, COVID started and that, you know, mixed things up. It's a virus. No political affiliation here, but it could have been the vaccine. Like there's so many things that are questionable yeah. since that started that, you know. That's interesting. Huh. That's really interesting. So the, what is the marker when someone's coming in with, with symptoms of diabetes? Because the symptoms are largely the same for type 1 and type 2, right? Like the frequent urination and all of that. Blurred totally. vision, that kind of thing. Okay. Let's backtrack before I get really into the science behind this, that like way less people are going to care about than like you would be, I feel like <laughs> as you go through this journey of, of finding yourself in this, I have so many questions as you're finding yourself in this experience. though, where you're going back to school now for, um, what did you go back to school for originally? Nutrition? I always started with nutrition. So I always okay. wanted to be a dietitian. Taking your power back. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this has been my passion for since I was little. And so I, that's always what I wanted to do. I think my education also helped me kind of get out of whatever rut I was in as far as taking care of myself too, because knowledge is power for the most part. Mm-hmm. You just recently finished your master's within, well, has it been two years now? 2019, I finished my master's and then- Wow, we have known each other a while. I know, right? <laughs> that's why I was like, your kid is how old? <laughs> crazy. I can't believe I let him live this long. And every dietitian has to do an internship. And usually some people will do their internship before their master's, but I did my master's first. I did my internship, which took about nine months. And then I graduated from that in May of 2021. So it it hasn't been too long since I've been in the field. Right. Of dietetics. When I worked with you about a year ago, you were working kind of for yourself, working with people as like a a private nutritionist. She like Mm -hmm. saved my ass with so many things. Literally, this woman told me (laughs) I needed to eat more to lose weight. And I thought in my head, like, right. Yeah. At first, I'm like, well, nothing sounds cooler than that. And then I realized how little I was already eating. Talk about flawed eating. That's probably a whole other episode that you and I could do. Oh, totally. But I mean, just the way she empowered me to eat more 
and to eat better and to take better care of myself and to walk more and like the power of protein and all of that. <laughs> I, I know you were also working though for a different, you were working for like a, a medical platform as like an on-call, like what were you doing at the time? So at that time I was, well, actually, I'm not sure if I was contracting by it then, but um, I do currently, and this is my full-time job, which I love more than anything. I work for Your Diabetes Insider. Um, ben Seal is the founder and we, um, you know, we, we work with type ones, we work with type twos, we work with people who don't have type or any diabetes at all. Um, we work with most people. Our majority of clients are type one though. Um, okay. Any age? Yes. All ages, kids to 60s, 70s, you name it. And what is the main goal of this foundation? Like, what is your, what is the main goal of the foundation? And then also what is your role within that? So the foundation of the company, right, is, mm -hmm. is basically there's three pillars. There's blood sugar control, there's fitness, and then there's nutrition. And we, we kind of incorporate all three of those and make a, a nice little triangle and help people, you know, manage their sugars um, become off medications if they, if that's their goal, help them lose weight, help them gain weight, whatever their goal is surrounding those pillars, we will help them with. And then my, my role is I'm a coach, right? So I'm a dietitian, I'm a certified personal trainer. Um, and I also have the experience of being type one. So I really help them kind of maneuver and better the, their health, you know, however they, they want to do that. Are there opportunities within that foundation for like parents who are trying to manage Absolutely. and, and amazing, amazing, amazing. We're definitely, I will link all of this. I'm so excited about this for you. Yay. Yes. No, I've seen a lot of parents um, with small type ones come in and ask questions and, you know, we counsel parents, we counsel whoever needs it, honestly. Is some of this, is it all locally based or is it like nationwide? It is international. We have clients in London. I've had clients in Ireland, London. Um, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So we do not discriminate and we do take insurance, some insurance, select insurance. So yes, it's all remote. It's all through video. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, so you get to stay a homebody too. Oh, heck yes, I do. Tyra and I have matching home body, home body mugs. <laughs> <laughs> Introverts are finest. Right? Introverts. Yes. COVID allowed us to introvert as our best selves. Oh, and we will never go back. Um, <laughs> no, never. Even being out, like, I feel like I can say like today, like I'm on location instead, right? Like I'm working remote <laughs> while traveling, but also I just the idea of like doing everything by myself right now too. It sounds so good. Oh I love the idea it's of amazing. not having to worry about right someone else's yes. stuff or being in an office and having to like discern my volume because we all know that I am incapable of that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, who okay, wants to do that from diagnosis, feeling really disempowered, feeling like kind of like low, uh, not sure about your body. As most girls go through that struggle. How do you feel diabetes has impacted you the most, whether for the, for the better of yourself or like impacted you in a negative way? Ooh, I love this question. So I think I will preface my answer with saying that I did not know anybody with type one diabetes. Um, mm. Growing up, there was nobody in my schools. Um, so the only 
person I knew who had it was my stepdad's sister, and she did not take care of herself. Mm. And in fact, she is not here. She's not with us today. Mm. So, um, and I, I didn't have a lot of good examples, no offense to my parents, but, um, maybe that's something that we could talk about on another, uh, <laughs> episode. We've got all um, the room for all the traumas. <laughs> so I, I learned what not to do from my stepdad's sister. And then also it's for my own experience. And I think if I, if I didn't go through what I went through and I didn't go through the complications though, I don't think I would have been able to relate as well as I do with my clients now though. So So it's, it's really given you an opportunity to empathize. Absolutely. Yeah. 1000%. That's amazing. Yeah. And purpose, like look at the purpose that you've taken from this, because I know a lot of people, when we, when we go through something so earth shattering with the potential to be so earth shattering, if we can turn it into like, this is the definition of you turning this into like a superpower and using it as a platform to help others which I have to imagine is also really cathartic as well. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, just being relatable, being able to empathize with the people that are going through it like that to me means the most, because if you go to a healthcare provider and they sit there and tell you what to do and, but they don't know what you're going through, that's a whole other story in itself. Right. And so I feel very privileged and honored to be able to, not only be the patient, but be the healthcare provider and knowing both right. of those sides. Yeah, you've sat on both sides of the chair. Yeah. Do you guys have any kind of like groups for teenage girls going through this kind of thing? We don't have groups. We do have single sessions and we have program clients too. And then um, within the program, we do have live Q and A's where people can come on each month and ask questions and stuff. So that's probably the closest we have to something like that. Is there anything that has like the ability to network girls together in that age bracket or any kind of like networking opportunities? Mm. So you can like get people who are localized in one area and like, shout out, I'm type one over here. My name's Sarah and I'm 13. And oh, I'm, I don't know why Lala came up because that's only like a stripper name, but I'm like 12 <laughs> and, and I also live here and I have type one. Um, yes. Sorry, Lala's out there. If there's any of you. Um, <laughs> what the what the ADHD just happened there um (laughs) but do you know what I'm saying so there could like some sort of platform for those people to be able to find each other so the the parents can kind of get to know one another and and the kids can kind of um have that bond where they can go through this together without having to be like the odd duck so yes I mean there's a few groups out there. So there's JDRF. So the research uh, company, there's beyond type one. So a lot of these two are geared towards smaller people. There's uh, smaller people. I mean, young adults. Yes. (laughs) There's a, there's actually a lot out there and it's, it's only growing. Right. Um, But there's also Facebook communities too. So there's a lot of those out there. I know that for me in Washington, there's one specifically for people in Washington with type one. I'm sure there's m- multiple right. everywhere. Out there. Yeah. That do that. With that being said too, people who are, who tend to go through the diabolemia and the body image stuff are very quiet about it and almost shameful because they know that they're, they know that they're 
hurting themselves, mm-hmm. but it's almost like they can't stop. They it's can't hard. stop. It's it's a sense of control. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, they're doing whatever they can to regulate their own environment, even though they're destroying it. It's it's yes. It's the same <laughs> as an eating disorder without the out without adding without the insulin diabetes. Yeah, without yeah. the insulin, it's an eating disorder yeah. without the insulin. Yeah, <laughs> but it is, and so many girls yes. go go through that. So do you have any advice then for preteens, teenage girls who are getting diagnosed with this? I would first, I would firstly say insulin is not the enemy. So take your insulin. It is not a cause of weight gain at all whatsoever. Um, and, and, you know, don't let a doctor tell you that either. Um, I would also say take one day at a time. So if, if, if you're in that phase where you're really not taking enough insulin and you need it, or maybe you are restricting your body with food, um, or of food, take it one day at a time. So, you know, even if it's every other day, getting closer to actually taking care of yourself. So if that's just adding a unit of insulin every other day, or, adding a couple crackers every other day, at least you are making progress in your health. Amazing. Yeah. Ira, yeah. you've always been so good at just giving people the little tiny baby steps to get there. I remember when you were like, you have to eat this many calories. And I was, dude, I'm going to throw up if I eat this much food. <laughs> you, you were like, you're eating 900 to 1,000 calories a day. Hello. Yes. Like, the thing is, Kyra can talk to me differently because number one, I like it that way. <laughs> and number two, <laughs> There's history there. So she's a very sweet and gentle coach. But when it came to me, I was like, no, you got to kick my ass. You really do. But that um, you're able to really kind of make it palpable because when people make these massive lifestyle changes to take better care of themselves, it's overwhelming. And as someone who's neurospicy as hell too, (laughs) taking on a massive change like that, when you mess it up even a little bit, it can be really difficult to stay on track with it. Like more so than someone with like, I'd say like an average working brain. And I totally. never felt like the days that I missed or that I didn't do well, that you ever came for me and made me feel bad about it. But not only that, mm-hmm. it's that you, you also didn't let me get away with it. So it would be, if you were messaging me and I didn't answer you, I would eventually get one massive, like all caps. <laughs> hey, what is going on? <laughs> because I, yes. I did tell you too, like, this is how it's going to go for me. And when it does, like, I need you to like backhand me from, yeah. from Washington to Virginia backhand me. And and totally. she did. So as far as accountability goes, man, you nailed it. You really hold space for people in a powerful way. And I think anyone who has the ability to work with you in that capacity is really fortunate. The last Aww. people I would like to just ask about, uh, do you have advice for any parents going through this? I know you yourself oh are goodness. not a mother, but you have been on the side of the teen going through this. And I think yes. if, if you could have had your parents show up for you differently, how would you have wanted them to do that with you going through this? Oh my gosh, that's a powerful question. I would probably, I would want space, but not space to where I'm alone. So I would, I would recommend or suggest that parents, if they do notice a child going through any kind of like eating disorder pattern, yeah. right? asking subtle questions, open-ended questions, of course, um, on like, how they're feeling, you know, what their day was like, just like subtle questions. And then 
um, if you're able to have a conversation with your teen, because that's not always the case right. these days, um, you know, dig a little deeper and and be be aware and cognizant of the type of question that you're asking because the smallest word can trigger. So just be careful, but no shame, no blame, curiosity and love. Right. Right. And I think that shame and blame, the way of pointing those questions sometimes really comes from that place of fear, right? Where we see them doing this and we almost say it in an accusatory way. When what we mean is I'm really worried about you. Is this what's happening? So I'm so glad you said that. I just got chills too saying that it's really important that we're approaching it with, and that goes for anyone everywhere going through anything at all. Oh, Try not to use that tone, right? Like we ask from a place of love and understanding. So don't project your fear for someone onto them and it's going to make them retreat so fast. Yes. So you currently are not working for yourself right now. You put that on the side. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely, yes. Loving my full-time work with, with your diabetes insider. Um, It's a great team. Love Ben Seal. He's best. If anybody is interested in working with me, wink, wink, um, (laughs) you can either reach out to Ben on Instagram or you can visit yourdiabetesinsider.com and schedule a session with me. We do take some uh, insurances and yeah, you can start there. Amazing. I will definitely post all of that information on this episode as well, um, as well as like to Kyra's regular account. Is that okay? Oh, totally. People can come follow you. She posts such good stories of like outside in Washington (laughs) and her adorable dog and the most uplifting and then also the most sarcastic stuff in the world. So it's like a good mix of everything. And I I love it. I love it. I love it. Your posts always make me go, God, I got to get outside. Um, So yeah, inspiring to say the least. Thank you for being on and I can't wait to have you on again. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys.